Kafer Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI, and this is In AI We Trust. Hello, today we are so excited to have a guest co-host. We will be speaking with Victoria Espinel, a giant in the AI and tech space. Victoria is president and CEO of the Business Software Alliance, an organization that helps shape technology, the landscape in more than 30 countries. She's also president of the software.org, an independent nonpartisan international research organization. She's had several really important positions in this space in the World Economic Forum as our first chief US trade negotiator for IP uh, and innovation, and as the White House IP enforcement and uh, coordinator. Victoria, I'm so looking forward to having this conversation with you today. I am as well. Thank you so much for having me here. This is going to be fascinating. So how's your week going? You know, uh, it's been pretty busy. I feel like I'm zooming virtually around the world today. I was in Germany this morning <laughs> um, speaking at the G7, um, and principally we were talking about data flows with trust, but... Um, artificial intelligence actually came up, well, I raised it, um, because I think it's a really important part of how we try to build trust and data moving around the world. As you well know, because of the great work that Equal AI is doing, reducing the risk of bias in artificial intelligence is one of the things that I think is absolutely critical if we're going to build trust in the system. So um, it was it was great having this exchange at the G7 this morning, um, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we're about to have. I am as well, and and I'm so glad you raised this at the G7 conversations. I'm uh, thrilled to hear it couldn't be a better place for them to be thinking about our AI deployment and how to make sure it is responsible and safe. Um, and likewise, um, had uh, some really interesting meetings and conversations this week. Last night, we had an AI policy dinner with a former uh, guest on our podcast, uh, Darren Jones, the member of parliament in the UK, introducing him to some other key players in policy here in the US and having this really important conversation, first of all, connecting people across US government who don't often speak enough. Um, and so that was a really uh, satisfying and interesting part of the dinner, uh, as well as making sure that we're all connecting the dots because uh, as you know, AI doesn't have boundaries and borders. And so it's really problematic when our um, solutions and our regulations do uh, conflict or, or don't run together smoothly. Um, I think connecting those dots inside of governments, um you know, across governments, across continents um, is so important. And I bet that is something Athena has thought a lot about too. I bet you are right. Really looking forward to this conversation with Dr. Athena Kaniora. Let's jump in. Today, we are joined by Dr. Athena Kaniora, Chief Strategy and Transformation Officer at PepsiCo. Athena is an accomplished innovator who oversees PepsiCo's end-to-end -end digitization strategy. She also leads company-wide transformation, in addition to overseeing data products, platforms, and talent. Prior to working for PepsiCo, Athena held a variety of roles at Accenture, including Global Data Science Lead and Global Head of Applied Intelligence, where she led a team of 20,000 professionals, including data engineers, data scientists, machine learning engineers, AI architects, help clients apply AI and analytics to drive long-term business value. Athena, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Miriam, for hosting me, and uh, such a pleasure to be having a discussion with both you and Victoria. 
Well, we are delighted to have this conversation because it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Athena. Your enthusiasm is palpable. You uh, bring so much passion to the world of AI and ethical, responsible AI and what you can do with the power of technology. You've said, quote, I love working in technology because I'm always learning and looking for new ways to bring digital solutions to real world problems. Please tell us, how did you become so passionate about technology as a medium for solving problems? Yeah, I think, uh, well, it always starts from a very early age. Huh? I mean, if you love maths, <laughs> technology is a great platform for you to, uh, you know, to thrive and uh, also to, to, to solve you know, real-time problems. Reality is uh, technology has always been a passion of mine since academia because although I come from a, you know, economics, uh, statistics, applied maths background, I always believe technology is a huge enabler to, to solve for both macro problems and micro problems that affect the lives of, you know, our citizens and our consumers in our case as PepsiCo. So it is about the practical applications of technology and not the theory of technology. So I would like to distinguish between the two because I'm passionate about the applications and what it means for the everyday person. And uh, I have been fortunate enough throughout my career, whether it was in academia to start with, and of course in consulting and now in PepsiCo, to truly partner with the technology vendors, right, and those companies, plus also test the limitations of technology uh, for uh, solving for the bigger problems. And, and this is where I'm passionate. How can you solve for the bigger problems uh, with technology in a responsible way? So, Athena, you have this super cool job. You are Chief Strategy and Transformation Officer at Pepsi. I'd love to hear, learn a little bit more about that. What, what attracted you to the role? How is it different from things you've done in the past? Are there past jobs you've had that have sort of helped you think about this job? Um, so talk about that. What, is it, what does that mean? Yeah, thank you, Victoria. It is a super cool job. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I decided to be part of the PepsiCo family. And I'll tell you why it is a super cool job. Because... Uh, for both our CEO and myself, it is a big bet for the organization. Typically, what you do is, okay, you say you have someone responsible for the strategy, which is typically high level, which is more theoretical sometimes uh, by nature. But then this is totally detached by the operational reality of the business, right? So what we said is, uh, you know, for PepsiCo to continue performing as they perform, right? They have also to transform. Uh, transform at the core, which means then what do you need to do is pretty much connect the vision of the strategy and the mission we have as a company to the execution components of the transformation agenda of our organization. And transformation is about the transformation of our people around the culture, the upskilling, the experience. It is the transformation of the ways of working through uh, process standardization, process re-engineering, breaking down the functional silos with having technology, data, digital, AI, empowering this transformation. And that's why my role is a compilation of, of course, our corporate strategy team, which are the big thinkers, thinking of the vision, our mission as a company, our transformation office, which is the gatekeeper of all the trade-offs we have to do as a company, everything from portfolio to sustainability, of course, to our digital transformation, 
are data analytics and AI team, which are the brain of how you connect information across the value chain of this organization, and our digital products and services and emerging tech team, which are our builders, our engineers, who bring all of those components to create reusable solutions for the company. I love it. So it's strategy and it's like, how are you going to get this done? And how are exactly. you going to use exactly. information to get it done? I in think a way so... that you can deliver results, Victoria, not just in five years, but also in this year. Exactly. I think this is so smart. Um, do you know, are there, are there other companies that have cheese transformation officers? Are you seeing this as a trend? Is you know, is Pepsi sort of ahead of the curve here? Yeah, definitely, there are companies that have chief transformation officers, which it's a combination of digital, IT, GPS, etc. We took it a step further because we combine strategy and transformation, which is something many companies are now experimenting and are testing. And we see more of those profiles. I think the future of big corporations like PepsiCo uh, rely on having role, roles like that at the PC level, at the executive committee level. Well, that's fascinating. I can't wait to see what you continue to do with it. And, and to draw that out a little further, I'd love to learn more about what it is you're doing at Pepsi. I, one of the reasons I'm so excited for this conversation is it, it's fun to open people's eyes to all the ways AI is benefiting uh, our lives, uh, our companies as consumers, as employees. You have this fascinating role at the intersection of AI and business in a place where people might not have expected leadership in AI. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you are using AI and, and how you see that growing and changing in the future? Yeah, uh, and, and thank you, Miriam, for asking that, because I think there is also a misconception that AI is a privilege only for the big technology companies or the digital native ones and the rest of the world or the bigger more legacy companies are not doing as much, right? Which is far from the truth, I have to say. And I think probably where we lagged and many other companies similar to PepsiCo lagged is uh, on establishing a programmatic way on how you uh, use AI and deploy AI across the value chain of the organization in a way that you leverage <clears throat> both the global and scaled infrastructure that we have as PepsiCo, but also the, take into account the complexity of the ecosystem that we operate. So I think this is a, a major difference. Let me give you some examples. Is uh, Naturally, if you were to think of where more, most of the companies have been using AI, historically, it's definitely in the front office of the business. So, okay, how do you engage better with consumers? How do you create better commercial experiences with the customers? And, and for us, what we've tried to do, because we are extremely respectful about targeting consumers directly, making sure that, uh, you know, the, the necessary governance and guardrails are there. We said, okay, the, the best application for us when it comes to AI is how do we enable the small mamas and papa shops in the moments of crisis where they don't have visibility in what is happening across the ecosystem, they don't have access to the supply chains that the big retailer will have, they don't know exactly what is the inventory they should be expecting from us. And they don't have one-stop shop to be able to do what we call guided ordering, digital ordering, guided selling, et cetera, et cetera. So think of the what we call traditional trade in CPG 
you know, the corner shops, the, the, the businesses that have three to five employees. That was a very big priority for us when it came to our, what do we call a CRM transformation? Uh, because this is where we use the AI a, a lot to be able to provide those owners, store owners, with an application that they could have a forward-looking visibility on the inventory and the stockage. They could do digital, digital ordering, on-the-spot scheduling, merchandising, and store placement. Uh, they were able to identify okay, what exactly, based on the route of the driver who is coming to their shops, exactly what are the gaps in terms of assortment he or she needs to have. So is there a way to, to cover those stockouts? And also, the additional thing is we created through the app a gamification platform. So they would actually earn incentives. They would have additional promotional and discounts if they did the ordering through the platform because it was cheaper, it, was, it required less manual effort. And of course, it created the uniform layer between the physical and the digital space of service that we want to deploy. That was a huge unlock for those small enterprises. Uh, because for the first time throughout the COVID crisis where the mobility was uncertain, now they had something to use powered by AI to be able to service themselves, do the fulfillment, but also service their consumers. So that is one example in terms of the front office. Then we have, of course, worked a lot on how do we, in cases and in and situations, especially in the U.S., where you have had huge supply chain disruptions, right? how can you use AI to be able to provide more visibility and, and re-optimize the network? So for, the, for maybe some of, the, of the, the listeners that they don't know, we have the biggest fleet in the U.S. We do direct sales distribution. We own trucks. I mean, we have truck drivers. We own the value chain from how you farm, sourcing the potato, processing the potato, making the product, pushing the product, moving the product, selling the product. We own the value chain when we are doing direct sales distribution. So we have farmers, we have truck drivers, we own fleets. So when in cases where you have supply chain disruption, whether it's raw materials, whether suddenly, as you see right now, gas prices go up. What do you do? How do you foresee things like that will happen? So what we did is, first of all, we used AI to re-optimize the network. How can we create more agility in cases where we had, of course, our beverages business in North America, which is a different composition of products if you think of our CSDs, our Gatorade, our juice business, our water business. And then you have our snacks and breakfast portfolio, our cereals, our glaze, our Doritos. So is there a way that you can optimize across the portfolio to facilitate the supply chain disruptions? For that, you need to use prescriptive analytics to run multiple scenarios, what we call even digital twins, in cases where, number one, you add, reduce, take out lines, manufacturing lines. You do a route optimization constantly, right? To facilitate exactly all the blockages that you have. You do simulation on potentially future demand shocks. So a big area of utilization of AI was on the supply chain and operation space. 
And another uh, quite important one was also on R&D. We, we are super proud, of course, of all the products that we developed uh, as a company, but we knew that we could do things uh, much more automated, much faster. So think of things like traceability, labeling, right? Testing new um, ingredients in the new products. AI is, uh, can be used extensively on this one. Some of them is to fully automate traceability, the traceability chain from the moment you create the product. I mean, you have uh, the, the QR code, you can trace exactly where it's going. This is very important, not just for the quality of the product, but also for sustainability purposes, for quality controls, etc., etc. The second also important is when you want to create reformulations of the products, typically the cycle of a new product introduction could take everything from three to six months to nine months. By using AI to be able to create, okay, all those uh, hundreds or thousands, in many cases, combinations, millions of combinations of potentially different products, uh, what we did is we applied different AI algorithms to test, okay, based on consumer taste and expectations and experiences and uh, quality constraints, of course, also regulation that we have, what is the best combo of flavors for specific products? That's why you saw the perfect Cheetos as, as one of the examples. So uh, linking R&D with sustainability and consumer also uh, expectations was another big area where we apply uh, AI in the company. AI enabled Cheeto. Who knew? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, Athena, you just said that you know people think of AI as being you know made for and used by big tech companies, and that's just not true anymore. It's, it's used by big companies. It's used by small companies. Um, that's going to be even more true a few years from now. I've heard you talk a little bit about what's happening in countries like Japan, where the entire customer care experience is being completely transformed. I've heard you talk about, you know, a world where virtual assistants, uh, instead we're using holograms so that customers get sort of a, a human-like experience. And you, you've just been talking about some of the exciting uses of AI at Pepsi. My question for you is, with all of these exciting benefits and uses, is there a, one use of AI that you are concerned about? Yes, uh, well, not just one, but uh, several, but I would highlight one, which is definitely in the human capital space. It's, uh, we still know that the composition of uh, employees, many of the, of the global corporations is not balanced. It's not representative of the total of the population. So if you were to use AI for identified future candidates of this company, we know that the algorithms that exist right now uh, are extremely biased are extremely biased towards the historical employee base uh, for every market. It's not just about the U.S., it's about every market. Uh, and it's biased against women, it's biased against minorities, uh, it's biased against also different types of combination of skill set. Right? To give you an example, which is something that we don't discuss very often. So uh, for you to be able to apply for a, a data science role historically what do you need to have you need to have a computer science engineering and maybe stats math background if you had a combo which included social sciences no one would consider you if you were to rely on the algorithm 
to be able to provide you this recommendation. So there is a, a plethora of bias when it comes to recruitment and onboarding. And that is an area for me that I'm, I'm, I am extremely passionate that we shouldn't be using AI till we solve and we have enough historical information and testing to be able to mitigate against this risk. To give you an example, uh, within our company, that's the first thing that I imposed as a rule, which of course our HR colleagues were more than happy to, <laughs> to follow our guidance, uh, but uh, we absolutely not don't use it anywhere in, as I said, the identification of the candidates and the onboarding process. Still, don't take me wrong, there are areas that like skills matching, right, that you can still use AI. So from the moment you have onboarded people, how do you ensure that you match the skills that they have with the job that uh, you want them to do? So there are practical applications on AI, but there are some that uh, we shouldn't be deploying AI, or we shouldn't be deploying AI without the necessary guardrails. On this case, it's about not using AI. There are others that uh, I believe, even within PepsiCo, we need to have a much, uh, a very rigid process on the utilization of AI. Consumer targeting, as an example. Uh, I don't believe uh, as a company, as PepsiCo, and for whether you're a CPG company or a retail company, et cetera, you have the right, just because there isn't a GDPR in a specific country, to target consumers in a way that they gives you uh, full access to the consumer information and demographics. And unfortunately, we have in some locations the regulation and the legislation and the framework that protects the consumer from personalization and targeting. In some others, we don't. Um, so as a company, we have a responsibility in the markets that in the countries that the regulation doesn't exist to make sure we put those regulations in place and frameworks. And that's one area that we have put those regulations in place. Well, this is music to our ears. Uh, you know, obviously at Equal AI, hearing how you've been so thoughtful about bias in AI is, is heartwarming. And obviously to Victoria as well, who led a bias in AI identification framework um, that's available online, very, very helpful. So something we've all three thought so much about can you tell us a little bit more? I can't help but want to know a little more about what process you have in place. Is it a team that thinks through these issues? It must come up daily in the ways that you're using AI. Do you have certain issues that bubble up? Do you have teams in place? Do you have outside um, experts? How do you approach identifying and addressing these areas of AI that may present bias in deciding whether or not and how to proceed? Yeah, <clears throat> so we, we actually have a combo, uh, Miriam. So firstly, we have put together a framework, what we call a responsible AI framework, uh, which of course bias is one component of that. Uh, through this framework, uh, we look at all the different life stages of how data is captured, data is ingested, data is transformed, data is used, data is then processed, and then of course data is ingested through different types of applications. And we have checkpoints in each of those stages, right? So that we have combined a responsible AI framework which gives the guidelines, the playbooks, the strategies on what exactly you should be checking. And we have coupled that with our data life cycle framework. 
which tells you exactly at each step of the data as an asset. Because from the moment you have one single data point, that becomes a data asset. So from the moment you capture that, what does it mean for the organization? And how it travels across the different parts of the company before it reaches the final recipient. Right? And we make sure that throughout that process, we have specific checkpoints. The checkpoints, many of those checkpoints, we have automated. <clears throat> I.e., if there is bias on the data itself, i.e., if the sample of information, the data that you have, is representative of the population that you want to model. Right? So th that is one of the checkpoints. If it's not representative, then automatically there is bias on the data itself. Right? Then there is bias on the way you define and transform a specific uh, variable. So we have an automated process that checks exactly what are those transformation mechanisms. So every time that those checkpoints go over and above a threshold, we get an alert through this funnel. Now, have we automated everything? The same applies for the algorithms, by the way. Of course, we have also check automated check checkpoints on the validity of the algorithm. But on top of these automated flows, we also have humans, right? So what humans do is, besides of checking the alerts, um, we have a forum of, uh, of individuals that come from uh, cybersecurity, our CTO organization, our chief technology uh, organization. Of course, my strategy and transformation team who owns those capabilities, including the business process owners, representation of the business process owners, control, legal, and audit. And uh, within those committees, we actually check, okay, based on all the use cases that come our way on what we need to develop, there is a classification from, you know, very high risk, very high complexity, not just in terms of reputational hazard, but also implications in the, bro in the broader company and engagement. So there is a filtering of what we need to do, an initial filtering. While, of course, we let the frameworks to put in place, even for the ones that funnel down as priorities for the organization, whether we should be using AI to solve it, or we should be using more conventional approaches uh, to solve it. So we have forums, we have frameworks and playbooks, we have a process in place, and we are still refining it. I mean, I cannot uh, pretend that we have solved <laughs> everything, right? Because this is evolving science, and unfortunately, for us and many other companies, technology is evolving so fast and you have so many new releases of even existing technologies that you have. So we constantly need to be up to speed with everything that is happening so we can also push our technology partners to abide with what we want. That is, so I that is definitely one of the realities that the, it's going to continue to keep evolving. So we, we all have to continue assessing our systems and, and improving them. Um, I wanted to ask you, you talked, I wanted to ask you about regulation in the space of AI. So at, at BSA, the Software Alliance, we've thought a lot about regulation of artificial intelligence and what the best approach is. You know, one of the frictions between the United States and Europe um, in policy areas is that in the United States, we have yet to pass a national comprehensive privacy law that's on par with uh, GDPR in the EU. And you know, we might be seeing a sort of similar dynamic start to play out with respect to artificial intelligence. The EU has a draft AI Act and you know, some number of relatively short number of years, they will have 
an AI regulation in place. And I don't know, uh, and, and the United States is, is not at the same point in the process. So if you were advising President Biden or the U.S. Congress with on what to do about AI, what would you advise them to focus on? Well, first of all, it's a simple answer for, the, for everyone who actually uses and deploys AI. We need regulation. We need regulation, we need frameworks, we need policies, because otherwise it becomes the wild west. I mean, it's a, you cannot assume that everyone, every individual or every company is using these technologies responsibly. So we have, the governments have to put in place some at least uh, guidelines, right, to start with which of course exist and uh, they have been further developed. But those guidelines, we all expected because I, you know, I, I have been very passionate about this space for many years, that they would turn to regulation. And, and, and unfortunately, although there have been a lot of discussions, nothing has happened. If you were to see the arguments that many of, uh, I would say, US opponents of regulation have been using is about confidence of the consumers to the technology stopping, the advancement of technologies is you are losing the competitive advantage. Reality is the consumer sentiment and trust of consumers and citizens on AI technology increased exponentially in Europe after regulation. It was declining. So when EU established GDPR and now that they are establishing some regulation on AI, actually it hasn't posed anything. It has even created another sentiment of confidence. Also, let's see the other market besides you. Japan has a very strict regulation framework. Canada has established one and still they are developing excellent AI technology. China in a way has an AI regulatory framework. Whether we can, we can debate how strict it is and how biased it is, but at least they have guardrails. So I think it will only benefit US if both from a data perspective and AI perspective, there is um, a much more standardized federal uh, approach on how we establish legislation around those two spaces. So many points I want to follow up on. So interesting to hear your perspective on regulation, obviously one that we share. Um, consumers benefit, companies benefit from the clarity of regulations. And if they're going to come down sooner the better because uh, companies can adjust to it now in five years it'll be a little harder to adjust their ai systems that have been so deeply integrated uh, i love what you've said about your responsible ai governance i think there are so many points there that i hope people heard about how you've automated the system uh, so that it can scale because there's no way a human can do it at the levels and the breadth of, of which you're using ai but you also keep humans in the loop uh, not only a good practice considering what the EU has said about regulations, but a good practice in general to ensure that you're not causing harm and liabilities, um, whether you should use AI at all. I mean, exactly the questions we hope a company using AI would be, m not all are, and, and it's wonderful to hear what you're doing. Another thing that I love that you're doing is with regard to upskilling your employees, the future of work preparation. You know, another thing and talk about consumer confidence, so many people are afraid when you talk about AI, what they hear is, I'm gonna lose my job. 
I will not have a job. My children will not have jobs in the future. Uh, but there's been a lot of studies that show that if we do this well, then we actually, like every iteration of technology, will have the same number, if not more jobs. We just need to think a few steps ahead as to how our AI world will look a little different and plan accordingly. So this is something you've obviously done. Uh, last year, we saw the launch of the digital hubs in North America and, and in Europe. Please tell us more about what inspired this really important development and what's the goal with these hubs? Yeah, so the typical, uh, <clears throat> well, the, the main reason why digital transformation fails is because you don't give the opportunity for uh, the recipients of those uh, capabilities to truly understand the value of it through the right upskilling programs, change management, learning experiences, and, and put them in the center of the design of those solutions. So what we uh, very quickly uh, understood by doing also an assessment, okay, why some of the things hadn't scaled in the past is because you didn't bring the people that are using the, the applications on board to be part of the journey, to give them the opportunity to understand the value added of those services. Um, as an example, uh, I remember very, very early in my uh, onboarding in PepsiCo, I went to one of our factories and facilities. And I said, guys, I mean, if you had a wish list, Tell me what is your wish list when it comes to transformation. From someone who entered from the university in, in the warehouse and in the factory in two years, comparing to someone in 20 years, they all came back with amazing ideas. So we underestimate how much our employees, irrespective of the tenure, irrespective of the position, want to be enabled by technology. Because no one wants to move pallets physically. Right? No one wants to use Excel spreadsheets to do financial projections. No one wants to uh, use different type of account mechanisms to do commercial planning with the retailers. And everyone wants to say, okay, can you give me something that I can use to take decisions rather than churning data every time and spending time or doing physical tasks? So, so the, what we did was the following. We said, okay, as we are building those capabilities, we need to establish, first of all, a digital academy. We had a digital academy. It was more focused what we call the knowledge workers. right? But we said, no, the people that will benefit more is our frontline. You know, our merchandisers, our drivers, our account managers, right? Uh, so our digital academy has been expanded to everyone. And within that, we have specialized courses, depending on your area of expertise where we, we want you to build certain level of proficiencies, but also more generic, general themes around, okay, how data can help you, technology can help you, so we can bring everyone to at least the same level of proficiency. The level of adoption that we have had is amazing uptake, and we are in the beginning of the journey. I cannot say, okay, for all the, you know, 350,000 plus employees that we have in the company, now we have rolled it out completely. But we have made significant progress so far, focusing on the bigger markets in our front line and, of course, establishing across our knowledge workers. So that is one. Throughout this one, people also get certification because what we believe is that you don't just prepare your employees about the new PepsiCo, but also you prepare your employees about whatever future job they might have. So if they decide at some moment in time to pursue another career, Let's equip them because they will still uh, 
be loyal to how PepsiCo has treated those employees. You know, we want to leave a legacy as a company. Um, the other thing, what we uh, indeed did, uh, Miriam, as you suggested, is we established the digital hubs. And, and we said, you know, there could be two approaches on how you use your, your um, employee base to build those capabilities. And one school of thought is location free, you let them be wherever, so it, it's part of a network. On the other hand, when you onboard or build those capabilities um, in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of COVID, etc., even the young generation is at home, right? At least some some locations, some hubs where they can co-ideate, co-create, uh, etc. So we've said very deliberately. Although yes, of course we can accommodate more flexible location strategies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, we need to have a couple of locations, Barcelona being one of those, have, uh, Dallas being the other one, uh, plus some others that we want to establish, uh, and we are establishing further, uh, but those being two, those two being the main ones, where we want everyone from um, design, service design background, to software engineering, data engineering, data science, uh, product managers, to sit together, co-ideate with the local business, and therefore create those solutions. It's going extremely well. I mean, uh, you know, everyone keeps talking about shortage of talent. Yes, of course, there is shortage of talent when you don't have a vision about how you treat those employees. Right? As long as they understand, okay, what is your mission? What is your vision? And what is the career architecture that they can have within a company like PepsiCo? Because we are not a tech company. So they need to understand, okay, what does it mean for them to come to PepsiCo? As long as you clarify those points, they want to come because they see their uh, applications. And the last part, the length of a program that we did, which, uh, you know, it's one of our biggest passions, at least the, the committee that we have been involved, we set up a digital ambassador program. These are director, senior director level, so mid-level management people, so the people actually that touch the things, that are day-to-day -day living the reality of whatever we are building. And we said, your guys are going to be our change agents. So you will go ideate with us. So it's not going to be, oh, you know, we are in our ivory tower, the leadership, the developers, they build without understanding the ground reality. So. We have, uh, we identified last year 150 of those individuals across the company. And we brought them from day one in the development and the design of those solutions. And they were the first ones to test it. And we rotate those ones. And this has been extremely successful, as not just on how do you design user-centric capabilities, but also around the adoption uh, of those capabilities. Athena, that... It's such a fantastic approach to uh, to the Pepsi workforce, and, and I love what you said about preparing them to, you know, do their very best at Pepsi, but also preparing them for, you know, where life might take them eventually. I think that's that's unusual for companies to think that way, and it's it's so compassionate and smart. So I think that's just fantastic. Thank you, um, So I want to ask you. There's clearly been you clearly a lot of things are underway. You're clearly already having some successes. What would you say is the single biggest challenge that you have faced in terms of this transformation process at Pepsi? Is changing the ways of working. And we underestimate how important it is for people to feel comfortable, to just let go of, of the things that they are doing 
and uh, keep their guard down and trust that whatever we are providing can add the same value or more value than what they're doing now. now. And that's part of the human nature, right? When you are successful and we are a very successful company, and so when you are successful and you drive growth and you drive performance, you say, okay, why do I need to change? I understand, I mean, this is enabling me to do things faster, but do I need to change my processes and ways of working, right? So uh, that uh, took a lot of education, change management and proof points. Okay, let me show you by doing that, how much more time you save to do the things that you love doing or how much more uh, effective you can be because you spend more time with your teams rather than in front of your screen, just, you know, doing Excel calculations, right? Or how much more effective you are just because now you are able to meet six customers and not three customers just because you didn't do the right route optimization. So you need a lot of proof points, but also a lot of education and, and uh, handhold. I mean, Yes, this is where I am a bit of a traditionalist, right? We believe we can do change management from the office. I don't believe we can do change management from the office. You have to go with the people that use the application and follow them on a day in the life and map their current day in the life and what the future day in the life will look like. And then sit with them now by using what you are building on how that changes their life. Then they believe because they see them next to you, right? So you need to build this trust factor. So that was Victoria Moore. It wasn't that, you know, our PepsiCo culture is a very welcoming people-centric culture, right? So everyone was extremely supportive of what we wanted to do. From being supportive to adapting, there is a difference, mm. right? So the biggest nut to crack was, okay, how can we ensure that everyone adopts it? So this was the... The thing that we really double down in terms of the the, the effort. Yeah, uh, cultural change is so hard. That's really great advice in terms of how to actually effectuate that cultural change. And it's so interesting to hear how you've adopted this because uh, this is what we talk about day in, day out. And it's so helpful to have a real life practical example that it's one thing to have a vision. It's really important to have a vision, um, but it also needs to be communicated. You have to build trust. Uh, with your employees in order to build trust with your consumers. Uh, and it's about a cultural shift. Uh, so thank you for giving us a glimpse into how you're doing this really important work. I want to keep asking questions. I want to continue this conversation, but I know we are at time. So uh, I will ask you what we ask all of our guests. And, and I'm really interested to hear your answer because you've given so much thought to how to uh, build and deploy AI responsibly. If you were able to do one thing without limit, if you had a magic wand to make a wish that would create this product, this thing to help develop responsible AI, what would that be? Oh, uh, it's the one thing that I, which my wish list, right? Can we have a multidisciplinary governing body uh, that, uh, uh, sets regulation and designs that regulation and then helps the government deploy that regulation much faster. That would be my wish list. It's not about what companies can do or what technology can do. Is I don't believe we allow the right people, the right governing bodies to come together in a way that uh, is beneficial 
more for the society rather than the corporations, right? Set the regulation, design the regulation, and then deploy the regulation much faster. That is my wish list. All right. Well, we'll all wish for your wish to come true. Yes. (laughs) Athena, thank you so much for this fabulous conversation, for sharing the insights that you've gleaned and for sharing a, a glimpse into the really important work you're doing at Pepsi. Thank you so much, Miriam and Victoria, and uh, maybe looking forward to a part two. (laughs) We'll look forward to that. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. Well, Victoria, that is uh, how our podcast goes. Really interesting conversation, really interesting thoughts, and particularly interesting to hear what Athena has to say, a company you wouldn't expect to be leading on AI, and yet she is in so many ways. What were some of the big takeaways for you? Well, she's amazing. Um, I think Pepsi's leading on AI, uh, I think a large amount of the credit has to go with their smart move and bringing Athena on board. And this new role that she's in, this Chief Transformation Officer role, I thought was absolutely fascinating. Um, But I also loved hearing her talk about how she thinks about the Pepsi workforce. And I thought it was a really as I said, I thought that was a really compassionate, really kind, really long-term future way of thinking about the workforce. Um, and I, and I would imagine that is something that those that work at Pepsi highly value. I agree. I thought, um, the trust she must be building, uh, you know, as she points out, it's exciting to have all this innovation and these opportunities for efficiency, but nobody loves change. Nobody loves learning a new way of doing something, particularly if they've been doing it for years or decades. Uh, and it seems that um, she's doing it exactly right by thinking about the end user who is um, being impacted both uh, directly by her actions and the consumer downstream. I think everyone benefits by having that, as as she said, as you say, compassionate approach Um, and, and how interesting that they're thinking about the legacy that their employees, that their partners will feel in having partnered, been a part of what Pepsi is creating, uh, in the short and long term. So I think that investment, as she said, will pay off. Um, and I'm sure that she, it will be ahead of the curve by how thoughtful she's being about how they're building and deploying AI, maintaining humans in the loop thinking about should this be solved by AI or a traditional medium, a question that needs to be asked, as you know, more often than it is. And uh, good for her. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. They clearly have like a very methodical, thoughtful process for how to do that. I was also surprised how much they thought they've put into regulation of artificial intelligence and what that should look like and and the passion um and her and her voice and that she expressed about that um you know you don't hear you don't hear companies talking about regulation that way very often i saw i thought that was really striking i agree well that was so much fun thank you for joining us thank you for having me i loved it it was great to have you subscribe to or download our podcast on spotify Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org.
And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 